The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. Um, this week we're going to be talking about Brokeback Mountain, but first, I'm John Burke, and with me is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we are recording early on a Saturday, which is much later than we had planned. I think we were supposed to record on Wednesday. And, and then I was sick. You were sick, and I woke up with a sore throat this morning. Oh no! Pretty sure I am sick, um, but... Get you some coldies. Yeah, I actually already have some. I'm going to take one after this, but, uh, or, well, you know, eat one or whatever you call taking a cough drop. But, um, you know, between, I've been, uh, like, I'm on summer vacation, but I've been working the last three days with a small group of teachers, and we're, like, collaborating and planning stuff for next year, and, um, with our, with my boss, and I don't know, I could have got germs from one of them, um, we've ate out a couple of times, so I've been, like, at a few restaurants, so I could have got sick there, and I was in a hospital, uh, last night when the sneezing started so who knows if i got something walking through the hospital but um yeah it's been a, it's been a long week uh and this movie we i watched on tuesday i think um and with anticipation of recording on wednesday and then uh we did not get to do that so this is the longest that i'm aware of that i've gone from like watching the movie to talking about the movie so hopefully we won't leave anything out but um how has your week been cory you feeling better Yes, thank the heavens, because every time I've gotten sick since I've been working at this job, it's been the plague. Um, but Bill and I both work, woke up not well on Wednesday, but um, and I'm such a mom. I make him like, take coldies and emergency and all kinds of things and drink plenty of water. So we ended up not getting the plague, which is great. But um, yes. yeah, really much better. And I felt like a jerk because I had a good time last night. Um, I finally got to see Polly Shore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, stand up. And I was like, he walked right by my husband. I could have, I wasn't even thinking. I was trying to get my husband out of the way because this is such a small comedy club. Um, they, they don't even have like a clear path to the stage. It's just packed with tables and chairs. And we were like 10 feet from the stage. Mm. Um, but Bill had to move so he could walk by. But it was really funny. And I think it's not really a lot of the comedy that we get now. You know, I don't know. Hmm. It was pretty great, though. I um before we get into uh, the movies we've been watching, I um I've had like my my wife was out of town for a couple days and she came back and she wasn't feeling well and ended up having to call an ambulance and all that and that was a whole thing. But um she appears to be doing better, uh, resorting to her stubborn ways and not not fully doing bed rest like she's supposed to. Um like I just went out to get a bottle of water and the countertop had been cleaned. Um, <laughs> And I'd already cleaned the countertop, but I'd left the paper plates out, uh, and those were away. And I'm like, mm-hmm. What are you doing, woman? Like, stop, you know. <laughs> she is so hard-headed. Out. Yeah, it's, it's so frustrating. Like, and I, I, I swept. I did the laundry this morning. Like, I am on top of it to make Damn. sure she stays in she bed. She does do stuff, yeah. And, Way to go, John. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. It's really hard when someone resists every every ounce of help. But I was surprised that she let you get her some food. I was like, yes, please. I was too, actually. I was relieved um, when she asked me. I was like, yes, gladly. Um, but uh, I uh, we we got Sirius XM like on a trial kind of thing right now. Oh, I love Sirius. And I I've been uh, listening to a lot of stand up on it because you know there's the comedy channels and I'm I'm a big stand up fan, but I don't always take the time 
to watch the specials right now, especially because I am watching so many movies. And um, I've, I've come across some really good stand-up comedians who I've... Some, like, I was familiar with, but I haven't listened to their whole specials before. Um, I'm going to mess up her name. It's Aparna something. I'm going to see if I can pull it up. Um, I don't even remember it, like, off the top of my head. I just I just listened to her album this morning while I was cleaning and stuff, and it, it is so good. Um, and I think she was on an episode of Douglas Movies. I think that's how I first heard of her. Um and it's Aparna Nancheria, I think. Um, and her album's Just Putting It Out There is at least the one I listened to today. And I streamed it on Google Play Music. Um, but I did, I heard a bit of it from um, SiriusXM. And man, she's super funny and really, really just. Oh, apparently there's a track I didn't finish. I guess there's like an encore, um, which is good to know. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out. She's super, super funny. Um, one of the things that I found, um, like why Amy Schumer kind of bugs me as a comedian is she always goes for like the sexuality jokes. Like that's, it seems like there's a lot of the more prominent female comedians go that I can think of off the top of my head that I've listened to over the years. They go real extreme into sexuality and like self-deprecating sexuality too. You know, a lot of like bashing of themselves and their body and whatnot. And I have no problem. We don't need help with that. (laughs) Yeah. And I have no problem with a woman like owning her sexuality. Men do it. I'm not judging them. That's not my issue. But, um, Aparna's like just genuine, like a normal person making jokes. And I really liked that. It was, I found it refreshing. Um, I would even say she's, it's, it's a clean album. Like, I don't feel like she cursed. She might've cursed a little, but it was definitely not like that wasn't her shtick. You know, it was genuine, just good jokes. A lot of like awkward social anxiety type relatable for me type humor and I, I thought it was great so just wanted to throw that out there um I'm on the fence about Sirius XM because I do feel like it g- cuts out more often than I would like it to oh um like just weird stints of roads like it'll just be like we're 30 40 seconds we're nothing no signal and I'm like what's happening like why right here is there no signal and I don't know it, who knows um could just be bad luck but Let's get into what we've been watching. Corey, uh, have you seen any movies or TV in the last uh, since we last spoke? Yeah, because we didn't talk about it on the last um, top five. So, I rewatched The Descent. Oh. I really liked that movie. And then I watched... I did that because I hadn't seen it in a long time. I think this was like my third time watching it. And then I watched The Descent 2, which wasn't horrible, but also unnecessary. And then um, I got to see, on the last night it was screening at the Flicks... RBG and it was so good it was so good and I just I was so pumped the whole time I was watching it and then when I walked out and I you know I know a little about Ruth Bader Ginsburg but I definitely want to read books and things and look more into her but super good and then I I'm rewatching Penny Dreadful I think I'm on season two now and then I watched season four that just came out of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm behind. Oh. I think I only watched season one. I didn't realize they were I, already at four. It's so dumb. And I think I was like, oh, my God, only six episodes. But I looked at the other seasons and there were only six episodes, too. But I love John Hamm. I love him so much. And he's so funny. He's I just can't handle like I'm just dying every time that he's on the screen in that show. It's so ridiculous. But I don't think that he gets enough, you know, recognition for that you know know. it's funny um he was on douglas movies uh this week uh it was actually a really good episode because bob saget was on for the first time oh dang and um jeff tate who is a comedian who's a regular guest on the show and probably one of the best at the games 
and honestly, like my whenever Jeff's on, I always have I always love the episodes, anyways. But John Hamm's been on several episodes of Douglas movies over the year, and he is he's such a down to earth sounding guy. Like I mean, I've never met him in person or anything, but just like on the podcast, because I all I've before I heard him on Douglas movies, and before like before I'd even seen him or anything, I just knew him as Don Draper on Mad Men, and I hadn't watched Mad Men, but I've heard you just hear women talking about how hot he is, and I'm like, okay, another one of those actors. But he's come off as so talented, super funny, very uh, diverse in terms of what he can do on screen. And then, like when you listen to him on the podcast, he's he's hilarious. Like he really is just like a normal guy who's got a sense of humor and you know likes what he does. And like it's cool because I mean John Hamm does not need to do Douglas movies. You know, no, it, like the dude's got a, a solid career going. He doesn't need to go on to promote anything or. Um, you know, but he, uh, that tells me one, he likes to do the show Two, He's clearly friends with Doug, you know, like that he would keep coming back. Um, and that makes him even cooler to me. And so like, um, I didn't, re- I, I think someone at, in my work meetings mentioned that he was on Kimmy Schmidt and I, I've not again seen it since season one. So he was not on it then. Well, uh, I think that everybody knows the like basis of the show. She's a mole woman that was kidnapped and held by a crazy guy who calls himself a reverend. Well, John Hamm is the Reverend, so, and I—he's one of those people that is like so funny and so like in it, but I don't know how he doesn't. Oh, that's he, right. He he's was. just yeah. I don't know how he doesn't like laugh. You know what I mean? I, yeah. He just like delivers it like it's nothing, and I'm like, oh my god. God, I forgot he was the Reverend. That's I I I saw season one like when it first came out and then i think i tried to watch two and there was just maybe i did watch two i don't know i can't remember because there is only six episodes i feel like i watched more than just six but i definitely didn't see three or four uh which just came out but um man and i'm, I'm jealous you got to see R- rgb because i um i feel like i probably could have got a i'm sorry rbg i feel like i, I probably could have got a screener of that if i worked a little harder at that and i haven't so I still may may get to see it, but so that's all I've been watching all that right. I can remember. Well, since our last, uh, I haven't watched that much this week because I've been like wrapped up in other things. Um, but I've seen some good stuff, so let's get into that. I, I got to watch Tootsie, um, which was highly recommended to us by Jamie Young, who will be on our podcast next week. Um, you'll hear him on the top five movies. Uh, we talked to him about acting and his uh, experience with Rebel Without a Crew and working with Alejandro, who's been on our show before. And um, he highly recommended Tootsie. And it was already on my list to watch this summer, but I made it a priority and I absolutely loved it. Dustin Hoffman is amazing. Bill Murray isn't in the movie a lot, but he every time he's on screen, I'm I'm enjoying everything he's doing. Um, I rewatched Game Night because uh, we rent, my wife and I rented it on Memorial Day uh, from Redbox. And so she hadn't seen it and she's a big Jason Bateman fan. So we watched that so funny it is i actually laughed more the second time um i don't know why maybe because i was at home and i felt like free to laugh but uh i really enjoyed it um watch brokeback mountain which we'll talk about in a little bit um my daughter as i've mentioned she's been challenged to watch uh 30 movies over the course of the summer so uh we ended up going to my friend's house and we watched the matrix 4k blu-ray that just came out um on his uh nice television and with good surround sound and um I have I've rewatched that movie. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times, but she really liked it. I think um, I don't know if she liked it as much as David and I did uh, when we first saw it, but I, it does hold up. Um, so one of the things though with his TV, it looks so good at times that it kind of wrecks some of the effects, like because it's got oh. like that smoothing and stuff, and it just like you can like see oh that's CG, oh and that's CG, but um, not 
not horribly, but I do think it is the the TV does that with the it's because it's so good. That's the problem. It almost is like looking through a window, you know, like it's like those things look too crisp. Um, and then on Thursday night, the the most exciting thing was I got to go see Hereditary, um, and I did take my daughter. And uh, I, writer for the show Big Tuna, who's also part of the Summer Movie Wager um, or the Summer Fantasy Draft Wager, um, he was there too with his, one of his uh, friends. And I've heard that the friend has had nightmares since he saw it. Um, oh. I, don't, I don't know if that's just a, like an you know hyperbole or if he actually has been having nightmares, but. It is, uh, it's great. I, I loved it. Um, my review went up yesterday. It was, it's a lot of words where I don't say a whole lot because it's really hard to talk about the movie itself. I talk about some of the acting and I talk about the, uh, the cinematography and the lighting and the, the atmosphere that's created is astounding. Um, but it's hard to talk about the plot at all because there's a lot of stuff that, um, it's interesting because the trailer does a really good job of showing too much, but also not giving you a lot of context of what they're showing you. And so I think it works. Um, it is, it's, it's really compelling. Tony Collette is amazing. Uh, yeah. And I am hearing it's getting a pretty wide release next week. So yeah, it comes out, um, the eight. Yeah. And, but that, that date usually means nothing to me because usually these type of movies, it comes out, but it comes out like far away from me. But apparently I'm even hearing that our local theater is getting it, which is surprising. Um, so I'll have to, uh, see what happens. Um, I have hopes. Planning on, uh, my friends and I are planning on doing a double feature on the Saturday after, uh, of Hereditary and then (laughs) Won't You Be My Neighbor. (laughs) That's a good follow-up, I think, like a palate cleanser. Um, because it it is haunting. I was a little concerned, um, at the end of how my daughter would handle it. She has not expressed any, uh, you know, worries or anything, but, um, yeah. And it is one of those movies that has a lot of ways to interpret what some of the things are. Um, so we had a good hour-long ride home talking about the movie, too. So, um, And that's all I've really got to watch this week. I feel like I, I should be watching so many more movies, but between uh, working, like, you know, from 8.30, well, getting ready and leaving around 8, 8.30, and then being there till about 3.30, and then I got home on Tuesday and uh, did a couple of things and I had to record. Wednesday, we got home and we went to... Uh, the lakeside village it was just me and taylor and we went and got dinner and walked around a bit and then um went and watched the matrix at my friend's house and then thursday we had to drive to altamont to see um won't you be my neighbor where i did get speaking not well sorry hereditary i mix those up all of a sudden um they could be the same title uh i did get the mr rogers um barnes and noble special exclusive pop vinyl where he's holding the king so i was excited about that um couldn't couldn't resist snagging that one and i did buy my daughter the uh yes please the amy poehler book um oh yeah that didn't that come out like last year or early this year? i think it's a couple years ago um oh really uh, yeah i could be wrong but i feel like it was a couple years ago and um but you know she's just recently become a huge leslie nope fan after finishing parks and rec and um i thought you know why not push her to to read the book it's a big book for one and then I think reading autobiographies is not something people often will reach out to do. Well, okay, not something people I know often reach out to do. And um, But when I read Kevin Smith's, it, it gave me like a, a, a renewed appreciation for Kevin and um, reminded me why I liked his movie so much as a kid. And um, so I, I'm kind of hoping for that same kind of hero attachment to uh, Amy Poehler because um, it's not really as... I don't think it's a straight-up autobiography because it's in the humor section. It's not in the uh, the bio section or whatever. 
So um, I'm not 100% sure how it's approached. Really. Flipping through it, it looks like it's it's a bit autobiographical, but with a tinge of, of humor and satire almost to it. But And I think with that, Corey, uh, it's time to get into our review of Brokeback Mountain. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. So Brokeback Mountain was from 2005. It won, um, well, at least I will find out for sure if it won, uh, directed by Ang Lee. I'm fairly confident it won something, but um, has an 87 meta score, 7.7 IMDb user score. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Heath Ledger, Michelle Williams, kind of, Randy Quaid, kind of. Um, it really stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. Everyone else just plays very supporting roles. They show up in small doses. Um, Anne Hathaway's on that list. Um, and then there's a couple other people. Uh, did you catch Anna Ferris for like 30 seconds? I did. And David Harbour. And yes. I don't know if everybody, and they were a couple. I don't know if everyone knows this, but it's one of my lifetime dreams that uh, he and Winona Ryder get married in real life. Oh. oh, from Stranger Things? Yes. And I don't then, know if you ever see, like, their set pictures, but... Um, well, I'm, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Linda Cardo- Cardellini, I'm a fan of from a few from things. From Freaks and Geeks! Yes. And um, I didn't realize, actually. And then Kate Mara, who is hit or miss for me. I liked her in this, though. I actually liked her quite a bit. Bigger fan of her sister. Yes, for sure. Um, no offense there, uh, Kate, but you did do the Fantastic Four movie. That was awful. So, um, where's the stupid thing about awards? All right, I know they won something, and the app is being difficult, but I'm going to find it. I'm sure it's on here. Oh, man, why is it being so difficult? Corey, stall. I'm, I'm looking, too. Um, so my problem with Kate, I didn't see the Fantastic Four movie, but I feel like, uh, what was that show she was in with? The, oh, Kevin Spacey, House of Cards. It's just, like, boobs yeah. all the time. I'm like, well, pretty sure oh, you can. I, I doubt she had much <laughs> control over that. <laughs> Well, I know that there are actresses that don't, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but uh, I think, unfortunately, the <clears throat> industry is established where, like, if you're not a certain caliber of actress, that you kind of get pressured into scenes like that. Like, look at Game of Thrones season one um, and how often Daenerys is naked and then watch as the seasons progress that she's not naked Word. anymore because she now, Amelia Clark. She's become a staple uh, and required character. And I've heard like, reports that oh, she's, God. like, said no more. Like, I'm, I'm done. I feel like that goes along with, like, her rise to power in the show also. True. You know, like, um, so I did find it. Um, so for the winner of the Oscars in 2006, they got Best Achievement in Directing, Angley, uh, Best Writing Adapted Screenplay, and Best Achievement in Music Written for mo- Motion Pictures um, for Scores, I believe. I w- I'm not always good at picking up on score. Um, I didn't okay, notice sure. the score in this that I can remember. Like, I don't remember... No. Um, and that's not to say it's not good. I, I think that's a, one of my gaps when I watch movies. I don't always pay attention to the music um, because I feel like it in my head I'm watching it holistically and a good score just establishes the tone and the mood and I'm not really paying attention to it. You know what I mean? Like I'm so focused on what it's doing. It's crafting the, the atmosphere that I'm not acknowledging it as a standalone element. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that's probably a good sign that I didn't notice it. Um, sometimes I'll notice it and I'll just be like, wow, I really like this. And other times I'll notice it and I won't like it. Like it follows, which I am in the minority. Most people love the score for that movie. It did not work for me. Um, my dog is barking again. Um, but, uh, this was a movie that I mentioned on the last episode that I had avoided because of my immaturity when it came out in 2005, I could not handle the idea of two male actors kissing and who knew what else, um, 
and I, I, I am ashamed to admit that, um, and yet proud now that I, I can, uh, one, that I've moved past that, um, fear or whatever it was, and that I can now, you know, easily watch something like this and not be worried about, like, is it gonna, does it mean I'm gay because I'm watching people who are gay, or, you know, and again, I don't feel like I ever really thought that, but it was that, that stigma that if I did watch it, people would give me crap about being gay, and especially some of my my friends who maybe don't necessarily think that way but that was just how it was because we were from the 90s and we did stupid crap like that so i i regret now having watched this uh not watching it earlier partly because i was really under um the impression that i knew how the movie played out and i had no idea how this movie played out like the first quarter of the movie not even quarter like them on on brokeback mountain the first time and then like finding out that they have feelings for each other I thought was the whole movie. Like, I thought that was going to be the whole film, was that them on the mountain, them finding out that they have feelings for each other, and then finally, uh, like, acting on those feelings. And that's not what this movie was at all. I watched this so long ago. I, oh, heck. I think that, I'm trying to remember. I remember the house I lived in. I remember everything. But I don't remember how long ago it was when I saw it. I think... It might not have been, well, it couldn't have been long after it came out for, like, home viewing, actually. I don't know. I had my personal things against it, too, and I don't really want to talk about it. But, so, going in with those kinds of views when you're initially watching something, you know, can make it hard to enjoy it or to, like, take it for what it is and not have all these negative, you know what I mean? Not to, Mm -hmm. like, see what it really is without your everything that you come in thinking about it ruining it. Yeah. What, uh, you did rewatch it, so how did that experience go this time? Um, I didn't remember much of the ending. Mm. Actually, now that I think about it, I was so mad, I don't think I watched the whole thing. So, I tried not to go in with those negative whatever this time. That made it a little better. But I still just have a hard time with this movie. Mm. Well, And I'm uh, obviously in the minority. Well, yeah, and I mean... Uh, uh, hoping that maybe in spoilers you tell us why uh you have a hard time with it but um there are i mean there are definitely things that i no i i don't know i like i'll say the first part of the movie like maybe the first 40 minutes maybe hour even um because it is a longer movie two hours and 15 minutes i think and um i wasn't sure if i was like on board and by the end though i was definitely i was moved by uh, a lot of what happens in the movie so that kind of leads us to needing to get to spoilers but i enjoyed it i definitely think it is a good film um i think there's some amazing performances heath ledger is so transformative from every role i've seen him play you know like he's almost not the same guy like the voice he's using in this movie is like unrecognizable to me as heath ledger you know and that just it it makes me even more sad that he had such a short life um not i mean obviously there's many reasons why it's sad someone dies young but like he's clearly uh an expert at his craft and that we didn't get to see him what he um, could have brought to it yeah just continue i mean he brought so much even more yeah yeah when such a short time but um, i think he would have been one of those um actors that would have been interesting to like watch over there you know to see over a long line of work and Mm -hmm. see you know how they transformed or yeah almost like i don't want to go i don't know if this is too kind but like daniel day lewis to that degree of quality you know where you're just like what is he going to do this time you know like and and he is supposed to have been a little bit method like daniel day lewis but um i i was so like kind of thrown off because like jake gyllenhaal feels like jake gyllenhaal in this movie and I, I like jake gyllenhaal so i have no issue with that but then like heath ledger i'm like is that heath ledger like it does not sound like heath ledger and some of the the like hair choices they do later in the movie because they age a lot in this film 
Um, I don't really like the like some of the little styles that they go with. And you some love of the, the looks, sideburns. Yeah, but some of the sideburns look so fake to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But. Um, but yeah, uh, great cast. Um, you know, Michelle Williams does, she's super young, like, especially when you think it's only like 13 years ago and like Manchester, she looks like a different person to me, um, which she's supposed to. I mean, she's been through a heck of a lot in Manchester by the sea. Um, but just seeing her in like 2005, she looks so much younger to me. Um, and then again, you have those other great performances and it's just, it's a solid film. It's definitely one of my favorite Ang Lee films. Um, his movies have been hit or miss for me. Uh, I liked Life of Pi. Um, I didn't. I hated Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Thought that movie was awful. Um, I hated The Hulk. Uh, and I loved um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which I'm pretty sure is his. So um, he's been up and down. And uh, this was definitely an up. So um, all right. I think, Corey, spoilers. Guys, you can go watch... You'll have to rent it, actually, or buy it. But uh, mm-hmm. Brokeback Mountain, from here forward, we're going to be giving spoilers and talking about the movie in great detail. You've been warned. So the movie uh, spans roughly 20 years. Um, it starts in 1963, and by the end, uh, Ennis' oldest daughter, played by Kate Mara, as the uh, 19-year-old version of the daughter. Um, well, she's 19. So you approximate 20 years. Uh, so 1983 is when it ends. And you have two cowboys, I guess is the term. Like they ranch hands. Ranch hands. One's a, a rodeo guy too, though. So like, cowboy feels right. Um, they they meet each other working on a mountain, uh, herding sheep over the summer, and like letting them, I guess like free range. I don't really know much about this, and this is in the '60s, so I really know nothing about this. I don't know if this is still like the way the sheep are herded and whatnot. Um, but they have to spend the summer with these sheep, and there's like, you know, one has a base camp, the other one sleeps with the sheep to protect them from coyotes and things like that. And um, they end up getting drunk one night, and the uh, Heath Ledger's character Ennis is supposed to go out and sleep with the sheep, and he's too drunk, so he sleeps in uh, at the campfire, but the fire goes out, so he gets cold. Jake Gyllenhaal brings him into the tent, and one thing leads to another, and they have a very kind of violent, passionate sexual escapade. Um, to me it's violent. I don't know. Cause like, it doesn't seem loving. Like he like aggressively slams him down and, um, pulls his pants down and it's just like, okay, yeah, I guess this is happening. Um, and it does seem to kind of come out of nowhere. Is that one of your Exactly. Issues? I totally agree. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> approach anyone for, you know, a sexual encounter without knowing for sure. But, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't. You know what I mean? I felt like it was kind of out of nowhere. I didn't feel like there was really any attraction. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. illustrated for us there. I think there's a little, but it's it's definitely downplayed um, as just, like, general curiosity about, like, who well, is this guy that I'm with and who is this other guy that I'm with and, like... There's looks and there's glances, but there's not definitely um, no conversation. And we've already heard NSA he's going to be getting married when he gets off the mountain. Um, and uh, Jack, which is Jake Gyllenhaal's character, um, is a rodeo guy. And I think, I'm pretty sure that Ennis says, my dad said all rodeo people were gay or something like that. Oh, I don't remember that. It, but... it was like a real throwaway oh. line while they were at the campfire. And Ennis has that kind of like grumbly, like mumbly voice, you know what I'm saying? Like where he's mm-hmm. not really saying much, but he's like, oh. Oh, he had chewing tobacco in his mouth. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Could be, could be. And, um, I, so like, I've never been to a rodeo or anything, but while we were sitting to see RBG, they had that, uh, trailer for, I think it's called the writer or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. The guy. And I just 
you know, like, those people get beat up to heck. And, you know, like, I didn't really, I mean, I know it's not a safe job, and I know that there's, you know, they don't get paid like professional football players, though, guys, I wouldn't assume, but... Yeah, that's kind of nuts. I think that I do think something interesting about this movie is that in the beginning, neither of them have a lot of uh, economic resources. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing they, it's kind of hard for them at, in this time period, and with that also to have any privacy. True. You know, like taking, I guess, taking what they can get. And I mean, I also think that it's interesting throughout the film that people know but don't make it as big of a deal or try to slander them as much as they could or that i think that they would Mm -hmm. you know i was kind of surprised at that too i mean i don't know maybe everybody doesn't wouldn't make a big deal but i feel like somebody would have well and so my my thought with them um the first time they have sex is that um it is like drunken lowering of inhibitions where maybe they were both curious and it's kind of implied that jack's done this before but not you know not for sure and it's been a few weeks since they've been out there so there's that there's they're pent up they haven't had any release which you know doesn't necessarily mean anything but like there's definitely um that was the night they've had the most fun together you know there's it may not be love yet it may just be need desire you know and but i think love comes from that i think that's the spark that ignites the fire in them and it's that becomes blatantly clear as the movie goes on and that's where I did connect. I didn't connect initially, and when that happened, I was like, wow, okay. Um, and to be fair, i that's not me. I'm not a type of person who will meet somebody and just, like, jump right to that. And I know they didn't just meet, but still, like, they hadn't spoke a whole lot at the time they've been together, and they hadn't been on a date or anything. You know what I mean? Like, that's me. Yeah. I'm not just going to – that's not going to be the first thing that starts our relationship. That's not the type of person I've ever been. Um, but, but as the movie goes on, I totally buy into, um, the story. Like, these two guys clearly love each other, want to be together, but Ennis is so afraid of the cultural stigma. Um, the story, the, the, probably the most horrifying part of this movie is when he tells the story of his dad taking him and his brother as young kids to see the, uh, the hate crime that transpired where a, a man who had been, um, found as gay. I don't remember exactly, uh, how they found, I think he was openly gay. Um, or they, they, two, two men bought a ranch together. I think even it wasn't even that they were openly gay. It was just two men bought a ranch together. And the assumption was made that they were gay and they killed him, beat him to death, dragged him around by his, uh, his penis until it was ripped off. And then the body was left for dead, like, well, left to rot in the sun. And the dad took his children to see it. And he was Ennis, nine. yeah, and Ennis even alludes to the idea that it's possible his dad was a part of it. Um, he wasn't sure, but he knew where the body was, and he seemed content on uh, scarring this image into his son's brains to make sure they wouldn't be quote unquote queer. And that was a horrifying and haunting story, and it totally explains why Ennis is so afraid of of being who he is. You know, because even after they have their first encounter, he says. I ain't queer, and Jack responds, neither am I, but it's it's clearly that they love each other, or at least they will, and they're just too afraid of the, the consequences, or at least, especially Ennis. Ennis is definitively more afraid of the consequences than Jack. I feel like I can't really comment on that without jumping to the end. Well, we can jump to the end, so um, I, go ahead. I w- so I am a little mad with Ennis, you know, the whole movie, because he doesn't... It's Jack always comes to him, and I know that he has more... Uh, 
you know, he has more money, he's married well, and all these things, but he, Jack always has to go to him, and he never seems completely, I don't know how to say it, like, committed or completely invested, you know? He always seems, like, an arm's length away. He doesn't always seem there, but I think that that's a, that I, I mean, when we get to the end, you find that that's kind of his, you know, self-preservation and that him not living in the open and not being open about it, and not talking about it, he ends up being the one that's alive. Alive and alone, though, and miserable yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, he, the the part where he goes to, um, well, one, he finds out that Jack is dead and calls Anne Hathaway, and Anne Hathaway tells him uh, that he died in a, a freak car accident. Oh, and go ahead. Does it, does it seem to you that that's when she's realizing what kind of relationship they really had? Because then she starts tearing up and stuff when she's talking about it. Well, okay, so the scene cross-cuts with um, what, what is... What, assuming what actually happened, which is that uh, he was, I think, it's implied, we learn there's a lot of, like, I'm jumping ahead to pull information to make sense of that moment, but um, the, the dad tells us, uh, Jack's dad tells us, Mr. Twist, that Jack told him that he was going to be moving uh, another a man different than Ennis to his the family ranch and that they were going to run the ranch together and I feel like that's most likely um, well I for, I'm not, uh, David Harbour's character because when we meet Anna Ferris and David Harbour David Harbour basically tells Jack that he's gay like that you know we should get a cabin together and it's very much sounds like the same setup that he had with Ennis like we're both married but we'll meet up to go quote unquote fishing, which is apparently the, uh, you know, the, the sixties, uh, yeah. Like wrong word. It's a way of getting <laughs> out of town long and far away from civilization so that you won't be judged for the things you're doing. And, um, so it, my guess is that Jack was ready to come out and the people in his area, I, which he lived in Texas, um, at the time, uh, appears to kill him based on what we see in the cross cutting. Um, and so I, I kind of wonder if Anne Hathaway, or at least her father, who always hated Jack anyways, was involved in some degree, you know? You really think that she would have something to do with it? Maybe not entirely, but think, okay, so, um, he's gonna have to divorce her, right? She's been, he's, it's, she can assume that if, maybe she found out his fishing trips with this guy became the, the relationship, because now he's ready to be open about it, and then for you know what 20 years or 10 years 15 years of their life he's been going on fishing trips with a guy named ennis she's never met so he's been cheating on her for 20 years and so maybe she doesn't look to kill him but she tells her father and her father no way you're gonna dishonor my family and do that to my wife and be gay on top of that in a time where that was definitely not accepted i mean it's just accepted now and i would say it's still not still kind of not yeah but it's it's much more open now than it was especially in the 80s um, so there's no indication that that's true, but just maybe the crying was like her admitting that, yes, she, she's obviously aware of what the relationship is. And I'm not, I don't feel like Anne Hathaway indicated that she would do such a horrible thing, but think about like when Michelle Williams saw them kissing, how she stayed with him for like a good while and finally divorced him. But like, it took a lot for her to finally walk away, um, after seeing, them kiss and like living with that secret and not even really confronting him for a while you know um even after the she didn't confront him about it for like a good year or two after the divorce when they were having that thanksgiving dinner oh i felt like it was longer than that because the girls looked older that's right yeah it's it, you're right i, I there, it's probably seven years or something like because i think there's three ages of the girls um so still like she took a long time before she even confronted ennis about it 
and he obviously got really mad i i was very shocked at how he grabbed her and like manhandled her um but uh you know so when he hears that and then he the the part that really broke me was when he went to jack's parents um ranch uh, and the the dad seems accepting of it, but still not okay with it. You know, like, he wasn't happy, but he also wasn't like, he's not my son. You know, like, there was a... Or leave my house. Yeah, yeah. But the mother was so kind and so, like, I wish my son had been able to be happy. And... For... Go ahead. No, no, please. Trying to also give Innes some closure. Yeah. I felt... For sure. And him finding the shirts um, from when they got into a fight on the mountain, um, which at when he when they go back from the mountain and they're about to separate, uh, he goes, I think I left my shirt on the mountain. So finding it in Jack's closet was crushing to him because he didn't leave the shirt on the mountain. Jack took the shirt uh, as a memento of their time together and had kept it in the closet, um, which, of course, isn't you could argue is probably a metaphor as well that their relationship was in the closet and here were their shirts uh, still matted with blood from the fight they had when they were leaving the mountain you know um and it was like the fight even was so symbolic of their whole relationship because they there was so much love and passion yet it was covered with like resentment and fear and anger um and not because of each other even but because of what their relationship would mean to their lives like that they would be in danger they would have a target on their back um and that that's where i i was 100 percent in on the movie was the end i i was it's such a shock i didn't know that jack would die um, and that you would see uh, how much regret poured over Ennis. And I love when Kate Mara comes to tell him she's getting married. And at first it seems like he is uh, not going to attend the wedding, but then says, like, I guess I'll have to find a new job um, where he's like, I'm not going to regret being not being with my daughter. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do what I need to do to be a, a better person, I think, is like what we're supposed to take from that. Like he's he's learned from his uh 20 year hidden relationship with the man of his his soulmate you know the man he loved and is gonna be a a, a different person moving forward <sighs> so much silence so what what don't I you know Corey? it's too long it is a little <laughs> it's long. too long like i feel like they just rehash the same things over and over and over again and it's like we get it it's over a long period of time they have to sneak away you know like we get that you know we could have cut out a lot of that um and i did find I even find, I just don't feel like, <laughs> it's probably more, because I did notice it more with Jake Gyllenhaal and the character that they're wearing these clothes and he's wearing this big cowboy hat, but I'm just not really buying in. You know what I mean? Okay. There's one part where he's like standing by the truck and it's like either right before or right after he's like, I can't quit you. And I'm just like, you know, it, I'm just not buying him as a cowboy. Well, and I think that's part of the, the stereotype, though, that we have in our brains of cowboys and also of gay men, right? Like, mm -hmm. when people think of gay men, especially in the the 90s and, and even in the 80s, it was always effeminate men, right? It was always men who were more like women. And that's what, like, I think when people think, I think people who aren't educated on the fact that homosexuality is not personality, that it is a who you're attracted to thing. Um, mm -hmm. We have that stigma of it being these effeminate males who are blatantly, clearly gay because they, they act like women, they behave like women, they, you know, um, and here cowboys are like the total opposite of that, right? Cowboys are the, the rough, tough, and they don't take any crap from anybody. 
Um, and you have them, I think that's part of the inner conflict too, is that they are, they don't feel like they meet the stereotype of a gay man at that time. And that they're at odds with themselves. They're two personalities. And, um, and even, I mean, I think you could argue if, if Jake Gyllenhaal was talking to a woman and said, I can't quit you, you would probably feel like that's out of place even there too, because I don't know that, I don't know that cowboys have ever been portrayed as sentimental. Um, in movies, like they're usually, the women are like longing for the cowboy, not the cowboy longing for the woman, at least not in that kind of romantic way, because I can't quit you is a romantic line of like our relationship does not work because you're not willing to let it work yet i keep coming back time and time again i keep letting this be my life even though i'm unhappy even though i hate how this is a secret and hidden and i don't know i i didn't feel that way um but i i do understand where you're coming from and i do it i do think even as a cowboy i don't know if i buy jake gyllenhaal as a cowboy that was the thing i just felt like and I like him a lot as an actor. Like, I will see movies because he's in it. You know what I mean? Not always, but yeah. he can be a drawing factor for me. Me too. But I just couldn't. I don't know. It just wasn't very convincing. I don't know. But I, I do think that's, again, our stereotypes of what cowboys should be in movies. And he isn't... Because, um, one, it's not even, like... It's not the West. It's not, like, you know, a 1980s set Western. Like, this is in the middle of now. It's ni- It's 1960s cowboys are more of even they're already fading from film at that point like it is um it's it's more of you know just uh, he lives in the midwest he's a product of his upbringing you know they they work on ranches so they wear cowboy hats um but he's he's a he has his own interests he has his own personality i i can see it in some ways um but like i i know we have like a really strong ag program at our school and the people that are a part of it and are several of them actually do participate in like rodeos and stuff not all of them meet what my expectation would be of someone who is interested in that and again i'm aware that that's a stereotype so i don't like put that on the kids but i'm always like oh you're into that like because that's not something i've ever been into like the idea of like going to a rodeo even is so Mm. alien to me Um, yeah and i i don't dislike westerns as a genre but they're not my go-to genre either like there's some I really love. There's some I've been bored by, um, and there's some I avoid even. But uh, I, I I wasn't as thrown off by it. But I definitely can see where the, where you're coming from with that because it it does it does. And I, I think that's maybe what Ang Lee's going for too is that juxtaposition of these are supposed to be the manly men, and now they're fighting this idea of what a homosexual is, which they're you know even afraid to admit. Like they never fully say what their relationship is or they don't say i'm gay or i you know that's never uttered in the film um it's actually almost anything that's mentioned with those words is derogatory um even self you know i'm not a queer like it's never accepting like verbally accepting who they are and it's it's sad and i think that's where a lot of the sadness too comes at the end is like it i feel horrible that people couldn't be who they were you know and i I hold that now too like if there's people for whatever reason if they feel like they can't express their their true nature because of fear of being killed or beaten um that that's sad you know even disowned sometimes because yeah as simple as that you know it it, I mean, it, I mean it, that is not the same as being murdered, but, no, but... It, going through your whole life and being attached to these people and your family and then being cast out because you aren't 
what they think you should be and you don't have that community or you know yeah. what i mean well if if you grow up with like strong family values and that you're supposed to have, you can always rely on your blood they're always going to be there for you and then suddenly because of a life choice what isn't even a choice but what you know i think that's the phrasing that would have been used is you've chosen this life now you don't get to have us like well one i think we've come a long way we understand that being gay is not a choice um I don't think that the whole populace gets that but <laughs> yeah well again and that's where that the phrase comes from right it's like oh well you made this life choice now you don't get to be a part of our family it's like well that's not fair like there was no caveats when you said you know blood is thicker than water when you said family's the most important thing you didn't give me those like that it was under as long as you meet what i deem as a normal person and um that's it's such a tragedy i think that's the biggest heartbreak of the film is that you see all of the regret ennis felt at the end i feel like i felt with him i was very empathetic to him at the end and i do i blame him but I sympathize with where he's coming from. Like, I because get... I can just imagine them living in a little house and their house being caught on fire. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, it doesn't seem like there are any consequences. It doesn't even seem like they tried to, you know, go after the people for the first murder. Oh, you yeah. know, and he does say that about his dad, you know. And I could just see if he wasn't so reserved and so quiet about it. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's hard to, like put your life at risk you know risk what you love it's like well that's that's a that's a lot and i and i'm sure there's a part of him that we see uh, the, with the words again of i'm not queer that hates that he feels the way he feels like he doesn't <laughs> want to feel that way but does and he doesn't know how to reconcile that and that's you know that's a big struggle too like the movie does a lot in that way and ledger does a lot to to really show the anguish um I think even his his quiet nature is reflective of that. You know that he is um, self-loathing in all those moments. He he is never okay. And I think that the end when he commits to his daughter's wedding and um, to I feel like he's trying to at least find some areas where he can be okay with himself. You know maybe he still won't come out. Maybe he'll still keep that a secret. But I think he's starting to feel the need to uh, to to be okay with who he is which had been his biggest struggle and that's really the biggest conflict with him and jack is jack's willing to risk everything for him and ennis is not willing to risk anything um for jack and i mean he does i guess it's not fair to say he doesn't risk anything because even when jack shows up after the what three years or so um and they like he kisses him immediately i jack was so taken aback by that because i don't think jack knew what to expect um, when he sent the postcard and then like they decided to meet up I don't think he knew how Ennis was going to be and then Ennis like just mauling him um, I think shocked both of them um, I don't know what that sound was are you still there yeah that was a weird noise but um, I, I think I am ready to give my rating is there anything else you want to touch on yeah my next cat I'm gonna name it Corey jr. sorry that was so hokey oh yeah <laughs> Alma Jr. Alma Jr. Um, I was a little shy. I don't know that I've ever heard uh, a, a female character have a junior name. Uh, in I've it. never. And I'm going to bring up, uh, oh God, what's the name of the movie? There's a Molly Ringwald movie that I loved um, where she's a teenage, she ends up getting pregnant while she's in high school. And they're talking about the name of the baby. And she's, they're like, oh, well, you could name it such and such junior. And she's like, there isn't an equivalent for that for women and their daughters. We just get their our mom's middle names but yeah hmm, that's interesting um 
I, I'm gonna say Brokeback Mountain is a must-see. Um, it, it, it has a lot, uh, I think it's, um, it's done fairly tastefully, um, you know, there are, there are, uh, uh, like, even if you are still uncomfortable with, with homosexuality, um, which I, I hope that you can get past that, listeners, um, but if for some reason you are, uh, I would say, um, you know, there's, it's, it's done in a way that is it's going to push your comfort levels if you are uncomfortable with that but not as much as like call me by your name did from last year um i feel like there's a few scenes in that movie where they go a little farther uh with the content but um but i i really i thought there's a lot here i do i do agree it could have been a little shorter i think they could have trimmed some scenes out and it would have been just as powerful um but i was moved at the end so same i'll give it that and here I am. I like the movie more now that we've talked about it, but I still just don't think I could rewatch this movie for, for probably 10 years. Um, it, uh, I'm going to go with... It's okay. I'm going to go with... It's so hard because I always find things in both of our ratings that appeal, you know, that, you know... Mm-hmm. I'm going to make start making my own ratings. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm stuck between a decent watch mm-hmm. and not quite Golden Pony Boy. That's it. That's it. Then, um, I mean... Uh, this is maybe like you, you need to be like Ennis and only visit this relationship every few years. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, our next episode while we continue with our, uh, theme of LBGTQ plus, uh, for the month of June, we'll be watching the film milk, um, which I know Sean Penn is in and that's all I have in front of me at the moment. But, um, that I Corey said is available to stream on Netflix. So if yeah. you want to reach out and watch that episode be- or I'm sorry that movie before we record our episode did Josh Berlin's name oh sweet Josh Berlin's in this I'm sold um Milk stars Sean Penn Josh Berlin Emil Hirsch Diego Luna uh, James Franco uh, lesson Allison Pill Victor Garber and that's where I stopped recognizing people uh Gus Van Sant is the director written by Dustin Lance Black um and accordingly this is on uh on Netflix another over two hour movie though um i need to pay better attention to that well no it's the (laughs) themes that we you know sometimes dramas need a little more time to say what they got to say and other times it's just not edited well but um if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us your thoughts you can email us at contact at burkreviews.com that is contact at burkreviews.com um cory until uh how can they find you on social media i almost forgot that again i know cory our star two r's on the end and you can follow me at burke reviews like on twitter instagram etc um until next time folks uh cory thank you and keep watching movies this has been a burke reviews podcast burkereviews.com <laughs>